All right. You know, on this program, we, we've openly admired a few people out there in the media, and uh, none, I think, more so than the legendary Jack Parr. Jack Parr, uh, for those of you who don't remember him, and that's probably most of our audience, preceded Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show back in the late 50s and early 60s. I only caught the end of the Jack Parr era myself uh, when he had a show on, on primetime. But I always thought he was he had a great formula for entertaining people, which was bring on someone who can talk and uh, and have at it. Now, on this show, we have a few people that have become sort of regulars. We had Sean Minton on uh, last week's program. Uh, I think he has the record for the most appearances on uh, on Radio Parallax, because we know we can just go to Sean and have a chat, and it'll be fun, even if we don't seem to talk about anything earth-shaking. Well, and someone else we've come to depend upon on this program is Matt Perry, who started out listening to the show while driving over, I think, uh, what, Donner Pass or something one day, and said, this is a good show, started listening in, started corresponding. We've had him on numerous times talking about a number of topics from, what, soccer to, to film. Actually, the first time I heard it, I was lost out in the woods with several friends, and we resorted to cannibalism, but I won't go into detail. Yeah, I understand that you, you, in retrospect, regret resorting to that a little early and after, I guess, what, three hours? Well, we figured after three hours that it, things were getting pretty dicey, so I guess maybe that was a little too quick on the You could draw. have at least waited till nightfall. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, but I was getting hungry. What can I say? <laughs> and I hear you only eat the guy's thumbs anyway, so yeah, he's, he's the still, inquest let you off. Right. I think he works in the Radio Parallax administrative <laughs> office, I think. He's, that would be Bud. But anyway, yeah, we've talked about a, numero, a number of topics, and, and, and we talked, uh, I guess, yesterday or recently about coming on again, and it turned out, uh, well, I, I don't want to make light of this, Matt, because it's a very serious matter. Your, your mother passed away recently, and, and you said, well, I, you're game for coming on and talking about that, which is, uh, which is certainly um, a difficult topic, I think, to go into, but, but I think that there's a lot we could say about this. I'll tell you a couple of things. I mean, when I was invited to come on today's show, I figured that the only thing that I could talk about was that. My mom did pass away a couple of weeks ago. And it does run the gamut from the very um, serious to the ridiculous. And so I, really, I suggested that we talk about the more humorous aspects of death. Well, I think we should, I think we should take a stab at that. I, I would add to this equation tonight that uh, that uh, yours truly just had a birthday this past weekend which I which I don't want to talk about <laughs> because they're not fun anymore I look at my age and say well I guess if I lived the maximum human lifespan possible I could have another half of my life ahead of me but that isn't likely so we have to face the fact that uh, we, we indeed are all mortal. I, I love the fact that you segued right to uh, my mother's death to another year of your life. Are those tied at all together? Well, all I can say is the subject of mortality of late has been something I've been trying to avoid, as we all, I think, try to avoid, but I'm, I'm not really been able to. Okay, I think that's a, that's a great entree to what I wanted to talk about, because I think that we are very uncomfortable as a society with death, and I think most people really don't know how to discuss it, and I found that that was one of the things that was a little surprising uh, for me, that 
many of the uh, my friends, some of them close, some of them not so close, there was a variety of different responses uh, running from the Facebook response <laughs> <laughs> to the uh, to the concern. I guess they got a not, a not like <laughs> to this. Uh, yeah, that got I <laughs> got a dislike uh, to the concerned phone call. And it, it is quite funny, uh, really, when you kind of look at what I call the hierarchy of of death responses. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody about this very topic, watching an old movie uh, that I'd been... I've got a list of movies, which we should talk about in the future, about movies I always wanted to see. One of them I was on the list was Ryan's Daughter, a movie from 1970, a David Lean picture. And, of course, David Lean, tremendous reputation. This one was a little slow. But we're talking about the fact that... um, that it portrays an Irish village, and 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 up till recently, up till I think recently in America and a lot of places, people lived in a sort of a village setting or a setting where you were familiar with people from all walks of life. These days, people grow up in suburbs. Everybody's all the same age. They're not familiar with the idea that you know people die. I mean, it maybe somebody dies. The grandpa died back in Ohio. We haven't seen him in you know ten years. And I just don't think people are as familiar with the topic as they they were in the past. I think that that's true. I mean, we. But, but I mean, there's something bigger than that, though. There's a real cultural fear of even talking about death or even infirmity, growing old. Um, and uh, oddly enough, I write about aging issues. I'm a reporter. That's I write about healthcare. Yes. Specifically uh, talking about aging issues. And I find that people are, are in large part uncomfortable talking about the fact that they're going to grow old and not be able to move around as well and eventually going to pass away. And um, we definitely look at older people as dispensable in the society. Luckily, there are a lot of assisted living facilities that are um, doing really great work with uh, older adults, though. I guess victims is the right word. We're all victims of this 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 cultural myopia that with people that are old in a in a youth oriented society like America is, we sort of we don't really think of them as having much to offer. And and when you talk to old people about say going into what you mentioned, the assisted living facility or someplace where there's a lot of old people congregating, they're tremendously resistant because what you hear from them is, I don't want to go there. That's full of old people. Exactly. And the the thing is that old people actually they there are wise elders and there are actually a lot of uh, facilities that are um, that uh, that respect that and honor that. Uh, there's a community in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Emeryville, Oakland, uh, called Age Song, which absolutely they focus their assisted living care on the elders. They treat them with they are the center point point of the care. I mean, and you go into a lot of assisted living facilities, and it is a, absolutely human warehousing. Where my mom was housed in Michigan, it was really an obscenity. She was in a um, Alzheimer's unit, dementia unit. They had no clue whatsoever how to engage these older adults. And that's actually what's happening with a lot of elder care today. They're moving from the bingo and shoving people in front of the television and blasting uh, it as loud as possible to really involving older adults in the activities that they have there. And with the, with the real understanding that just because you're old and can't necessarily communicate verbally, that doesn't mean that you can't communicate. There are a tremendous number of ways of communicating with older adults. Um, through uh, poetry, uh, art, music. There's a new Arts for Alzheimer's program. There's a whole, there's a national project called Wisdom, W-I-S-D-E-M for dementia. That is a way of looking at older adults as, you know, like I said, our wise elders. Um, So there's a real uh, groundswell change of um, how 
to look at older adults and the baby boom generation. I think that's all of us here, Edward McMillan and you as well. <laughs> I think we all qualify. Right. We're all baby boomers and we're going to redefine that aging process. Well, we think we are, but, but the truth is medical science, um, has not advanced as far as we might hope. Certainly people are living longer, they're living healthier, but the truth is, you know, it's still a pretty finite situation. And by the time you're talking about someone who's 80 or 90, the chances are you're going to be, you know, you're certainly a shadow of your physical self in your 20s and 30s. That's true, but what I'm saying is that because we become frailer physically and even cognitively, it doesn't mean that emotionally or spiritually we've uh, devolved. In fact, most people th consider that our older adults are the wisest people in our society. In fact, as you get older, you become less stressed, you become less worried about what other people think. There are a tremendous number of advantages that older people have over the youth-oriented culture. Well, they certainly do, although I do think of the H.L. Mencken line that uh, he said that uh, as he got older, that the old saying that uh, age brings wisdom was something he came to distrust more and more. <laughs> But, well, I but, think, but, the, but we do we do learn things as we go through life, and and we do have certainly more to offer than an inexperienced person of say twenty one. The par the paradigm is definitely changing. I mean, and look, even with there's a huge problem with having mentors for younger kids, right? No, kids who don't maybe don't have parents. So there's a whole movement afoot to start um, pairing up older adults. And and by the way, your listeners should know that's kind of the new phrase for set of senior citizens, calling them older adults, right? It's kind of like the difference between Africans American and th those black folks. Uh, so that's kind of like the cultural move step forward with, as far as aging so I, i'm going to become I'm, I'm on the threshold of becoming an older american you're telling me an older black folk <laughs> well i can't qualify for that but. Oh, okay but it, seriously there is definitely that change is happening and with kids needing more direction guidance mentoring who better to give it uh, give them that kind of help than older adults well i, I and I, that is a terrible thing that uh, as people get older they they're not able to in a youth oriented society uh convey their life experiences to younger people and the truth is we baby boomers were certainly notorious for this and looking at like you know, the situation we were given a Vietnam War, you know, uh, people that were uh, a society that seemed to have bad values, I guess, for lack of a better word. We challenged that. We thought we would do better. And of course, uh, I, there were some successes in that area. But in the end, society hasn't changed as much as we would have liked. So I would say if, if any group out there has been hoisted by its own petard, it would be us, those who have sort of scorned the older generation and what they can teach us now that we have gained, we think, some wisdom on our own part, which we like to impart. We find that kids are like, what, you don't, you're not like tweeting? <laughs> I made a crack yesterday at a, at, a, at a farmer's market about, to someone about, um, he was just going off and being very obnoxious. And, and, and my friend was just really taking, uh, taking the mickey out of him <laughs> because he was, he was just very, was very pontificating and obnoxious. And he was talking about mental illness and how he'd been in various mental facilities and being very loud and obnoxious about it, which was not a good combination. And, and I jumped in at one point and said, yeah, I'm not a violent man, I said, but there's going to be a strong letter about this in the, in the Union Tribune tomorrow. He was sort of taken aback by that and said, well, yeah, but, you know, in our generation, it'd be a tweet. <laughs> I thought, so he's, he's made a good partial comeback. Yeah, strong letter in the Times. Yeah, thanks, Gramps. But, man, I guess the point of all this, it makes me feel like uh, immigrants, when I used to treat the Hmong people brought in from, from, Thailand, uh, from, from Thailand or Laos, 
the children could speak some English. The adults had nothing that they could really interface with in American society, and they were just like a lost generation. And I think at this point in time, uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I think I can just relate to that a tad. That's a good comparison. I mean, uh, there's a lot of depression in the Hmong community, a lot of difficulty um, uh, fitting into American culture, and especially the kids are fitting in, becoming more Americanized, and their, their parents are not. It's a real cultural gap. But I think we can all relate to this cultural gap, can we not? And the fact that, like, I don't really, you know, I, I don't, I'm not into, like, tweeting, and I'm not into, like, Facebook, and I'm not into a lot of these things. And it's like, uh, it's the language of uh, the, the 20-something. It's everybody does that. No one, no, one, no one talks on the phone anymore. Everyone sends texts. That's what Nora, Nora Ephron said um, when they were playing some uh, remembrances of her after she passed away. She said, you know what I really miss is the phone. I come back from a, a weekend away, and I look at my... I look at my answering machine, and there's no message there. I guess she still has a, had an answering machine, but she yeah. said she really misses the phone. And I think, you know, that's uh, that has worked its way into our culture. And I think, you know, I experienced that when my mom passed away. There is, I think besides the discomfort with death, I think because we've become a technolo- technological society, people feel more comfortable expressing their condolences in uh, you know virtual format either by facebook or texting which is which is just just i i have to say it seems just awfully impersonal i i felt that way honestly i really did um there were some people that i was certain i would have heard from uh in person or you know a phone call or something more personal than a text you don't you don't, you don't want to text sorry to to hear about your ma probably <laughs> just is not going to cut it yeah and uh, you know as I mentioned to you before the show, I had read a blog posting one day, which I thought was really right on, which was the seven words that, <laughs> that you should never utter in your life, which are, let me know how I can help, <laughs> which it takes the side of really offering help or um, some form of appreciation or sympathy or whatever off of you by either sending a card, inviting somebody out for lunch, sending them flowers, I don't need flowers, sending me money, I don't need money. Um, But something that, you know, a phone call. Um, I was very surprised that people that I consider close friends did not pick up the phone to call. Well, it's a mark of where we've gone as a society. I I agree. And uh, so I'm trying to get over that and not take it personally and not think that it's there's something wrong with that person or wrong with our friendship. But I will tell you this. I firmly believe that um, in the Midwest uh, that that would not have happened, that people would have been far more personal. You think it's a California thing? I think that's part of it, that there's a rudeness. When I went, my mom passed away in Michigan. That's where I grew up, right outside of uh, East Lansing and the mighty Michigan State Spartans. And... I think that it is a cultural difference. In fact, I was down in San Diego not long ago seeing an old high school buddy, and he and his wife could not fit into California culture. They had lived in San Francisco, they lived in San Diego, and they said there was just something about the left coast culture that it just, they did not have those same kind of solid friendships and those that rooted foundation of, and, and I know exa- I knew exactly what they were talking about. It's, a, it's just a Midwestern. More superficial. There's just something, yeah. you know, it's it's the difference between 
really feeling that that person across the table cares about you rather than somebody who is mouthing the words. Mm. And it, I definitely know what they're talking about. I felt, I definitely felt a stronger, more solid, rooted connection to people in the Midwest than I do out here in California. I think that that's generally true. I know exactly what my friend and his wife were talking about. Well, although I agree that, you know, let me know how I can help might be the seven words you don't want to say. There are there are four words, I would say, that do top the list of things, uh, the, the things you never, ever want to say, which would be, go ahead and shoot. You mentioned a moment ago you might want to talk about the humorous aspect of something that is, you know, it's a universal experience. And, and like all universal experiences, there is humor to be found in it. But the question is, in your case, where, where, where have you had... Moments that were amusing out of this out of this whole episode. Oh, by far the one that was the most amusing. Um, my mother labeled everything. She would label the silverware drawer. She would label the dog's bed. She would label the sheets. She would label what, like the Fido in case case anybody else was going to lay down. Exactly. A friend of mine said, "He says, man, I'm sure glad uh, high school, but I'm sure glad that it had Shadea's bed on there because I was I was ready to jump on in myself." <laughs> and so my sister had the brilliant idea that when my mom passed away she would do something very special in that regard okay so at, at the viewing my mom did not have a um, memorial service just a small private family viewing and so at the viewing my sister got out a post-it note wrote the word mom on it and posted it on my mother's shoulder <laughs> Everybody, I, not everybody got the joke. Um, let's just say that some people laughed and some people didn't, but I have a photo to prove it. And uh, so I'm happy to show it to you or any any members of your audience. I will be happy to email you a copy if you'd like to see it. And I think my mom would actually have found it funny. Well, you know, that, that brings up a good point. Uh, funerals are, are, are something that, are, that, that can be very tough. And, and when, when my dad passed 11 years ago, we sort of had a decision, let's just have a party. Let's just have like an event where people show up and sort of, you know, a celebration of life is becoming, I think, the way people are starting to look at it. And I think that's a good trend. I think it's a great idea. I mean, think about it yourself. I mean, I sure don't want people standing around being morose. You know, I hope you guys do a special show dedicated to me when I pass away and play <laughs> Frank Zappa songs and uh Tape uh, a tape of Harlan Ellison <laughs> talking about pay the writer and uh, you know doing doing some crazy ass stuff. Who was that actress that said that she was hoping that it, when she went she thought there would there was a, there would be a river of like grief. She was hoping that people would remember her and be very upset about it because that showed they cared. I don't. I, I think that you know. But one of the things that I'm hoping in the future that we're we avail our avail ourselves of more easily is assisted suicide. I think that the the ability to keep people alive far long far longer than they have a quality of life, I think is is as close to cruel and unusual punishment as we have today. Well I think you have a point on that. I just I wish they'd found a poster boy for the cause other than Jack Kevorkian. He was not a good choice, but he certainly raised a lot of valid issues. You know, we don't necessarily want to be uh, spend 20 years as an as a 90-year-old. I've talked to people in aging services in California, nationally. They all agree with that. They all think that Kevorkian was doing something that was very honorable. Uh, unfortunately, his 
PR, his, his public relations Very president, bad. was terrible, yeah. right? I mean, he, he looked like the angel of death. I mean, that's not somebody that... But I think really, at bottom, uh, is a very compassionate issue. When I was in a college, there was a, a, a philosophy professor um, named Benjamin, I can't remember his first name, at Michigan State, and he was working on that, very kind soul. And um, they have... There they're, um a few states around the country that have them, uh, Washington State, Oregon, you know, with limited um, ability to do that under special circumstances. I think they'll become more widespread as uh, people um, demand that they not be kept alive in, in really poor situations where, where they have physical and cognitive failure and they're suffering greatly. Well, I think what you say makes a great deal of sense ethically and medically and morally and all that, but we're going to bump up against our legal system and the do-gooders who say that, no, that's not what you're allowed to do, and we're going to, and by God, that's not what the Bible says we should do, and we're going to, you know, we're going to prohibit you from doing so. Well, Matt, I, I am sorry for your loss, but it, I, I think this has been an interesting conversation. It's something we need to talk about now and again, and I, and I, and I, I, think, I think we have. I think we have, too. And Coincidentally, I saw a film recently... Uh, Last week, great film, 1947, Body and Soul with John Garfield. He's a boxer, works his way up. You know, it's kind of a rocky kind of story. And um, there's a fixer, a guy who is kind of the Don King of his his age. And uh, his favorite phrase is, everybody dies. Everybody dies. He throws it off. End of the film, John Garfield is supposed to throw this prize fight. And he doesn't. He stands on the side of morality and integrity and uh, fights, beats this kid in the 15th round, knocks him out. And the fixer at the end, like he's really pissed off because John Garfield's just throwing him under the bus, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Garfield looks at him, final line of the movie, he says, what are you going to do, kill me? Everybody dies. Well, indeed we do, and I, we need to have you come back and talk about films. Uh, John Garfield certainly stimulates memory of a lot of these actors with it, uh, from the 40s, the, the golden era of film, 30s, 20s. Let's come, back and, uh, let's come back and do that soon. I'd love to. In fact, let me just throw a shout-out to the best film I've seen in the last couple of years, French film called The Intouchables. Not The Untouchables, The Intouchables. It uh, was, or I'm not sure if it's still playing at the Tower or not, but absolutely terrific film. All right, we'll come back in August. We'll talk about movies. And uh, this is a difficult topic for us to talk about at all, but, but uh, I, I'm glad we addressed it, and, and I think we should probably take a stab at it again in the future once the, sort of the dust has settled, as it were. I would love to come by again. Thank you. All right, Matt. That about does it. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett, and be sure to turn in next week for a, uh, a follow-up on the great chat we had with Sam Keane about his book on the periodic table called The Disappearing Spoon. He's got a new one out, The Violinist's Thumb. Going to teach you things about DNA that you just had no idea about. It's going to be fun. Tune in. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.